Amen. Well, if you would take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Once again. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to pick up at verse 14 and read through verse 16. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The title of the message this morning is Consequences of Entering into the Rest of the Lord. Consequences. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your word. I pray, Father, as we look into the word of God today, that we be encouraged, strengthened, and challenged. And, Father, that we would set our hearts to be diligent, to hold fast our profession to keep the faith, uh, to avail ourselves of the privileges that have been given to us who have entered into the rest of the Lord by faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Have your will and way. May you be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when one enters into relationship, and that's what we were talking about, entering into the rest of the Lord, that's kind of the topic of this last two chapters, but when one enters into a relationship with someone, there are privileges, and of course with human relationships there are problems, that are consequences to that relationship. Now when one enters into a relationship with the Lord, there are privileges that God gives to His children, and, and those are opportunities that are, can be of great help and blessing in our lives, that we can avail ourselves of. In other words, there are consequences. You know, we often think of consequences, boy, that's, that's something that we get, you know, that's, we're reaping bad something we sowed. But, but consequences can be good things. And, and really, that's a word there, a, a, a definition that's used here in this passage. But, and so we're going to look at this morning the consequences of entering into his rest. And we're talking about the privileges, the opportunities that we have because we are children of God. So as we consider this passage this morning, I want to notice several things. First of all, we are bound in a relationship with the high priest of God, the Son of God. If you notice in verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us fold fast our profession. Now, he uses uh, this, 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 he used some legal terms here. I don't notice, first of all, we're joined by legal and familiar bonds or bounds. The word seeing and that we have are the same word in the Greek, the same word in the original. And, it, and it, it has the idea of having joined by bounds, whether natural blood, 
marriage or friendship. And the word then is, means either therefore or consequently. Seeing where you know have these bounds, whether it's by blood, natural blood, you know, biological uh, 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 relationships, or marriage or friendship, consequently we have these things. So since we are entered into this rest of salvation, the result is we are bound in this relationship by the hand of the Almighty God, the Son of God. And in the Word of God, you know, our God has revealed to us this kind of bonding relationship with Himself. You know, we think about the, the natural bond, or we would, might call it the biological bond that we have uh, with, with people, but we also have with, with the Lord. Look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. It says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He also Himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that, has, that is the devil, and deliver them through, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took on, not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, and to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. So he was made like us. He had he had a, he he was he was a man. He was a human being. You know, we, we read there in Philippians 2 5 where it talks about him uh, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of man, made in the likeness of men. So he took upon him the likeness of man. He took flesh. He didn't take man's blood, but he took flesh. He had the blood of God, but he took the flesh of man and, and the seed of Abraham. He was one of us. He was a human being. Just like you and I. So, we have a, a blood, a biological bond with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was made. You know, and because He was made like one of us, He understands our infirmities. Because He was made like one of us, He can be our faithful high priest because he understands the flesh but not only that the bible compares this relationship to a marriage bond in second corinthians 11 verse 2 paul wrote to the church at corinth says for i'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy for i have espoused you to one husband that i may present you as a chaste virgin to christ and of course we know that ephesians 5 25 husbands love your wife even as christ also loved the church and gave himself for it and so we have this, you know, we, we are compared in the scriptures, you know, the churches, churches are called the bride of Christ. The spirit and the bride say come, Revelation twenty two seventeen. And so we have this bond, you know, that's like a marriage. We have a bond that's like friendship with the Lord compared to, in fact, he calls us friends. You know, a friend is someone who, companion, considered a companion or associate that's with familiarly, uh, that's somebody that you're personal with, somebody that you're personal with. You know, Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times, loveth at all times. You know, we, you, you've heard people say, well, they were just a fair weather friend. 
They like me when things are good with me and when I have money and, you know, they always like to be around me when I have money and I have things and, you know, but, you know, when things are bad, they're nowhere to be seen. That's not a friend. That's not a friend. No, a friend loveth at all times, the Bible says. In John 15, 12 to 15, the Lord Jesus told his disciples, his church, this is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man may lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends. If you do whatsoever I command you, henceforth I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. I don't know about you, but I know what the Lord's doing. I know where my Lord is. He seeth the right hand of the Father in heaven. I know what my Lord's doing. He's also interceding for you and I at the right hand of the Father. You see, He doesn't consider me a servant. He considers me a friend because a friend knows what his Lord's doing. You know, a Lord doesn't tell his servants what he's doing. He just tells his servants what to do. But I know what my Lord's doing. But he said, I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. You know, we consider, of course, we consider ourselves servants of the Lord. But the Lord looks on us as friends, as brethren. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, you know, this is, the, this is again the relationship or the bond of relationship, the kind of relationship we have with the Lord. In Romans 8, verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And I mentioned last week about that adoption. It makes us, gives us legal standing as heirs. And then he goes on here and says, For the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. So, so by the new birth, we have become children, not just servants, not just friends, but we've become children of God. Children of God. In Galatians chapter 3, in uh, verses 26 through 29, Galatians 3, 26 through 29, the Bible says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see, we are bound in this relationship. We're joined by legal and familiar, familiar bonds with Christ, with the Son of God. So not only will we join in this relationship, but in this relationship we also have a great high priest. If you notice in verse 14 of our text, again, seeing then that we have a great high priest. Now, the high priest... As you think about the high priest of the Old Testament, and this is what the writer is comparing to, the high priest was really the highest position in the nation of Israel. For it was he that was to intercede between man and God. 
You know, he was really greater than the king. Because uh, the king would go to the priests to offer up sacrifices or to get direction for battle, or how to go into battle. You know, and when that began to stop is when Israel began to decline. And, you know, he represented them and offered sacrifices. And if he was accepted, they were accepted. But we have here, it says, a great high priest. Now, the word great, great is the word megas, mega. It means large or a million. You know, we talk about some words, megabucks or magnificent or magnum. Uh, you know, my brother-in-law had a 300 Weatherby magnum. Now, it was a 30 caliber rifle which I have a 30 caliber rifle, I have a 30-06. However, it was a Magnum. And it probably had about twice the powder of a 30-06. In fact, you know, according to those who seem to know, a 300 Metherby Magnum with a 180-grain bullet has a pretty flat trajectory over 500 yards. It may drop 23 inches. A 30-06, which is the same caliber but less powder, will drop 66 inches. However, the 30-06 only gives you 20 foot-pounds of energy recoil. But that 300 Weatherby, 37 pounds. And I mean, it will wrap you. My brother-in-law brought it up to my place one day to shoot it in. He wanted to take it bear hunting. And he went out and shot it. I lived in a farm in Pennsylvania at the time. He went out and shot it once and came back in the house holding his shoulder. My sister, he was holding his shoulder. He said, I think I broke my shoulder. He said, can you get Jason to shoot this thing in for me? Well, you know, I'm no fool. I took a pillow. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, that thing would wallop you. It was a magnum. It was a magnum. You see, we have a great high priest. He is greater by far than any high priest that was before him. For he, you know, he is accepted for, you know, it proves he is accepted by God, for he's passed into the heavens, that is, into the very presence of God. See, this high priest is is Jesus, and of course, that's his human name, but he's also the Son of God, that's his divine name. So identifies him not only as a human being, uh, as one of us, but also identifies him as God with us. The God-man. Therefore, he can intercede between man and God. You see, Aaron. Aaron was considered the high priest. And he did his job well. But he really didn't understand God. But this man, the Son of God, he is God. Aaron couldn't pass into the heavens, into the presence of God with the blood of bulls and goats, but this man can. You see, we have a great high priest. Again, that's that's the relationship, kind of relationship we have with God. We have this high priest who is God. So notice the second thing. Our high priest, we have a high priest that can sympathize with us. Notice in verse 15. 
For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now the word touched with feeling, it means to be affected with the same feeling as another or to sympathize with. The word infirmities speaks of the soul or the want of strength or the lack of strength and capacity required to please God. Uh, the lack of strength required to measure up because of weakness or the infirmities of the flesh. So as we think about this, you know, we have a high priest, the Bible says, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. In other words, he, it's impossible for him not to understand. He has the power and capability because he was a man and because he was God. But as we think about sympathizing with our infirmities, because he was a man, he can sympathize. Now, we think about infirmities, you know, it's, it's the weakness of the soul. It's impossible for you and I, because of the weakness of the flesh, to understand the things of God. It speaks of the weakness of the human nature. You know, in... Uh, uh, Paul said in Romans 6.19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield ye your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. So, so just like before you, got, before you were saved, you could, not, you could not serve God acceptably because of the weakness of your flesh, the infirmity of your flesh. But now, because you have the Spirit of God living within you, do, just as you served the flesh, now serve the Spirit. Just as you live for iniquity, now you need to live for righteousness by the power of the Spirit of God. You see, and the natural man cannot understand the things of God because they're foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. The word infirmity also means lacking the ability to do great and glorious things because we lack wisdom or we lack strength or skill. You know, does your flesh, does your flesh know how to speak the truth in love? Does it know how to answer every man of the reason of the hope that's lie within you with meekness and fear? You know, Paul wrote again to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2, says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstrating of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, the, the flesh lacks the abilities. And Jesus understands this. He understood the infirmity of the disciples. Why they failed many times. Why they lacked faith. Because of the infirmity of their flesh. You know, the infirmity of the flesh speaks of the flesh has not power to restrain corrupt desires. I don't know about you, but I still find that I have a natural inclination to do that which is wrong. Sometimes my wife tells me something and I, I'm like, you don't need to tell me what to do. And it may be right. But my flesh doesn't like telling me, telling me what to do. That's my natural inclination. And if I live in the flesh, 
I'll follow that. And so will you. You just may be too proud to admit it. But that's our flesh. It's prideful. It does not have power to restrain corrupt desires. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul said, For I know that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Jeremiah said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperate wicked. Who can know it? See, these are the infirmities of the flesh. Along with other things. You know, the word infirmity is used 24 times in the New Testament. 17 times it's translated infirmities. It's translated weakness five times, disease once, and sickness once for a total of 24. And here's an interesting tidbit. Do you know how many courses there were of the high priests in the Old Testament? 24. See, Jesus, our great high priest, can cover it all. He is the end from the beginning. He can take care of all our needs. Some may say, how can Jesus sympathize with me? He never experienced my infirmity. And by that they mean he never experienced my sin. But let me ask you a question. And I never really thought of this through before, but this was pointed out to me by someone else. Is it not true that sin hardens us? So who would be more sympathetic, a person who has not been hardened or somebody who has participated and been hardened? Spurgeon said this, quote, But listen to me. Do not imagine if the Lord Jesus had sinned, he would have been any more tender toward you. For sin is always of a hardening nature. If the Christ of God could have sinned, he would have lost the perfection of his sympathetic nature. Unquote. He lost the perfection of his sympathetic nature. So the reality is the person that can be most sympathetic to your infirmity is the person who has not participated or experienced it. For they've not been callous by it. You know, how can you understand weakness of, to drink if you never drank? Well, just because I never drank does not mean I was never tempted to. And just because Jesus never gave in to sin doesn't mean he was not tempted or tried. You know, Jesus, the Bible says he was all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You know, did he experience weakness? Infirmities and weakness? Yes, he did. He grew tired. He grew hungry. He allowed himself to suffer hunger. He allowed himself to be weary and tired. He allowed himself to see the suffering of sickness and death of those close to him. He allowed himself to be used by Judas who betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. The man who carried the bag. The treasure's bag. He allowed himself to be taken and beaten, spit upon, mocked, his beard plucked, and to be put to death for something he did not do. You see, he suffered all the infirmities of the flesh, yet without sin. And when it says all points, it means there is no infirmity we suffer that he cannot sympathize with and help. 
You know, Isaiah 53, 3 and 4 says, But he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. A chastisement of our peace upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. You see, he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. I'm sure that those saints in the Old Testament would have said, Man, I'd like to have a priest like Jesus, the Son of God. Our priest, you know, he's a good man. But he's a man. He's the one who made the golden calf. He couldn't say he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. But we have a high priest who can sympathize with us because he was tempted in all points, in all ways. Then notice thirdly, the invitation to the throne of grace. Verse 16, let us therefore, so knowing we have this high priest that's passed into the heavens, and this relationship that with bonds we have with him, and that he has passed into the heavens, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we might, may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the consequence of our relationship is the privilege that we have to avail ourselves of the benefits you know, of the help from our Heavenly Father through our great high priest. He says, let us therefore come. You know, this is an invitation. Uh, you know, one of the, one of the uh, words that's used often in the Bible is the word come. John six thirty five. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth in me shall never thirst. All, in verse 37, he said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. And so we have this invitation to the throne of grace. That we need to avail ourselves. He invites us to come. Let us therefore come. Knowing we have this relationship. And we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. He says we're to come boldly. That word boldly means free and fearless confidence. Cheerful courage. Assurance. So he, wants to, he invites us to come boldly. Don't be afraid to come to my throne. Of, it is a throne of grace and of mercy. You know, Romans 5, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, being justified with, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace where we stand. So we have access because we've been declared righteous by God through Jesus Christ. And so we ought to come boldly. You know, if you've been born again, you're justified, declared righteous through the blood of Christ, and we have access then to the throne of, throne of grace. It's a throne of grace, a throne of favor, and we ought to come boldly to it. Ephesians 3, 11 and 12, according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence 
by faith of Him. It's because of what Jesus did for us, not because of what we do, but because of what He did for us. That you and I can come boldly under the throne of grace. Because of He who offered Himself as a sacrifice for sin. See, it's through Him that we obtain mercy. And it's interesting that it says that let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Now, Earl White said this, quote, Remember, mercy is what the guilty get. Mercy is what the guilty get. He goes on, he says, A man is not getting mercy when he is excused from the penalty of a crime he did not commit. Unquote. See, mercy is what the guilty get. A man excused from a crime he did not commit, that's justice. But we were guilty before God. We're guilty. We are sinners. We have offended God. We've, we've transgressed His commandments. But through repentance and trust in Christ, we have received His mercy. You see, Jesus Christ, our high priest, has turned that throne of judgment into a throne of grace and mercy. Not giving us what we deserve but giving us what we do not deserve. His favor and blessing. But you know, the world's still going to face that throne of judgment. But this throne to us is a throne of grace and of mercy. Now, if you notice, he says here that we might find grace to help. The word that, that grace there speaks of strengthening of the inner life or the inner man, which enables us to overcome temptations and infirmities. Look at Second Corinthians chapter twelve, and this is what Paul talks about here in Second Corinthians chapter twelve and verses seven through ten, and where he says, "Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations." There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, when I am weak, then am I strong. And so when we talk, speaks about in Hebrews 4 here about grace to help in time of need, he's talking about the grace or the strengthening, the power that God gives us to endure the infirmities, to overcome the hardships. To have victory in the trials of life. And this is what Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This was an infirmity. It caused him to want to quit. But he said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. 
In 1 Corinthians 15, he said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. You see, it was the grace or the power of God that has enabled me to be what I am. It isn't my own strength. He says, when I am weak, when my flesh is weak, that's when the power of God demonstrates itself in my life. And here's the, here's the an amazing thing about all this. It says, and find grace to help in time of need. Now, you might translate that this way. Well-timed help. In other words, just when you need it. You know, he knows when we need help. He knows. And he's always there. You know, our high priest is never too busy. To receive our petitions or our requests. But you know, we need to avail ourselves of the privilege we have. This is the consequences of entering into the rest of the Lord. Entering into salvation, becoming a child of God is we this consequence is we have this great high we have this privilege to come boldly under the throne of grace, the thro- very throne of God, where he extends his his favor and his mercy to us in our time of need. We're at Luke chapter 1 or Luke chapter 18 verse 1. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. Jesus tells a parable. And it says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not faint. In other words, you ought to always avail yourself of the throne of grace. Saying, There was in the city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. There was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. So he's telling a story about an unjust judge. And he didn't, give a, he didn't care about anyone. But this widow came and beseeched him. And said, though I don't care about anyone, I don't want, I don't want her continual coming. I'm going to take care of this situation. And the idea is, how much quicker will God answer his own elect than an unjust judge? You see, if they would just come, if they would just ask. You know, in 2 Kings 19... We have the account of Sennacherib invading 
Jerusalem and besieging Jerusalem. And in chapter 19, verse 14, he sends a letter. Sends a letter and to uh, uh, King Hezekiah. Of course, he's been threatening uh, Jerusalem for some time. So he sends this letter to Hezekiah. And in verse 14, the Bible says, And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messenger and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwelleth between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kings of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which has sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations in their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. You know, does God answer? Well, in verse 20 it says, Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, That which thou hast prayed to me against Snickerib, king of Israel, I have heard. In verse 32, we'll pick up there. It says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come to before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall return, and shall not come into the city, and shall saith the Lord. For I will send this city to save it, for mine own sake, and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass that that night, the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and four score thousand and five hundred five thousand. And when they rose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. You see, God will avenge them speedily in their time of need and are well with well timed help. You know, Philippians 4 tells us. To be careful of nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, seeing then. In other words, consequently. So seeing or consequently you have entered into the rest of the Lord or you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, since then, you have a, we have a great high priest. We have an open invitation to come boldly under the throne of grace. We avail ourselves of it. You know, if our profession is genuine, we make use of what God is inviting us to. You know, Luke 18, 8 says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. What does James tell us? We have not, because we ask not. You know, why don't we ask? Is it not the same reason as the children of Israel when they refused to go in the wilderness? We ask not. Because we really don't believe God will answer. 
You see, we that have entered into his rest, we have a great privilege. And so he says, let us hold fast. Let us maintain this relationship. I was telling the young men this morning in the new members class, you know, if you're going to have a relationship, it takes maintenance. You have to continue communication. God wants us to maintain this relationship. We need to lay, let, hold fast to it. Lay hold of the throne of grace, even as Jacob did when he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. So consequently... We have this great privilege. We have a high priest, and we need to avail ourselves of that privilege we have with our Lord.